Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. It's set to be a bit of a busy day at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with one player already out of the door and one player set to come in. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, all right. Waiting for the kind of more gears to turn at Tottenham Hotspur and the uh, the revolving door that it seems to be this summer to keep spinning. Um yeah, looks like more movement today and uh, in the days ahead and potentially a little bit next week as well. Yeah, it's it's been really busy in terms of incomings this summer, but in terms of outgoings, very quiet. But I think now we're in July, things probably will start to pick up. And we've seen Stephen Bergwijn depart for Ajax this morning, finally confirmed at about nine o'clock Friday morning. He's been in the offing for a while. He was heavily linked with moved back to his homeland in January, but that never went through. And Ajax finally have the man. And I think it's probably fair to say it's a good deal for Spurs and one for Ajax as well. Yeah, doesn't mean I'm not sad about it though. I really am with Stevie B. I just feel Spurs never got the best out of him, and I think I don't. It's one of those. I wouldn't say they'll live to regret it. Um, I don't know if it'll be that kind of thing because I do think, like you say, it's the right time probably for all parties um, for this to happen. And the fact that yeah, they've got what we understand is is just a shade under 28 million all in plus the add-ons. They've got really a little bit more than they paid PSV Eindhoven for him, which, look, I know it's about not about the balance sheet and all this sort of stuff, but it shows that as a player, they weren't getting rid of a declining asset. I think it's probably the best way to be, if we're going to keep talking business speak. Um, I feel with, with him, it's just been a case of injuries at the wrong times, managers who maybe professed their love for him but didn't really make a real space for him and their team it was it was it was a strange way he was dealt with um even just Conte in recent months Conte has raved about him and said how different he is they all have the same line don't they different to anything else we've got in the squad but yet they don't find a place for him um especially you know when he had that run where he was scoring goals for fun for the Netherlands and Spurs and it was a bit like Lucas was still coming on first. And you're thinking, Lucas hasn't done anything in that period. I can understand why he'd been getting frustrated behind the scenes. And, and, you know, I think I said this on the podcast before, but maybe the thing with Stephen Bergwijn has always been when you get someone, let's say Matt Doherty is a good example. When he wasn't playing, he was frustrated, but he was training harder than ever to get the attention of everyone involved, especially Conte. Whereas with what I understand about Bergwijn, not to say he was training badly or anything like that, but maybe rather than pushing it to ridiculous heights to try and get noticed, he was letting himself get a bit frustrated about the fact that he was being overlooked. And, and it is understandable. We're all human beings. So I totally, well, most of us anyway, you know, I can understand that kind of uh, that feeling. Um but yeah, it's just sad. I do think he'll go away and I think he'll have big moments in his career. I think there'll be more. I wouldn't be shocked if he has a brilliant World Cup as well this winter. You know, he's going to get a lot of regular game time at Ajax. I didn't actually realise he was an Ajax player as a kid. I completely skipped my mind that until I saw the little welcome video that Ajax did. Um, and I think he'll go back there. He'll feel at home. He'll start every single match, you'd think. And he will go into that World Cup probably sharper than he's ever been in his career. And I think he'll have a big World Cup. Um, 
look, we'll always always have the King Power Stadium that night. That was incredible. Um, he had other big performances as well. I would say that in a lot of the big games, he actually came up for Spurs. You know, Man City in his debut, Man United he scored, the West Ham quarterfinal in the League Cup as well. He was superb this season. And obviously that night at Leicester, which was just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, just a, just a case of, I suppose, missed opportunities all round with him. Um, and I just, I think, I don't think anyone is going to, you know, everyone I think will wish him the best. He definitely isn't completely blameless. I think that's fair to say. I think there's moments when he's had big chances where he didn't take them, little confidence issues here and there. Uh, but ultimately, he was a guy that clearly loved being at Spurs. Um, he's one of those guys, I don't think he always expresses it. I don't think you see that all the time. But I think even just judging his message as he said goodbye today, that's someone that you know had a deep affection for Spurs and the fans and everything. And uh, yeah, we shall see what happens back in the Netherlands for Stephen Bergwijn. I'm I'm pleased for him that he has got his move to Ajax because I think yeah. he's he's been desperate to go back there, and it's been a dream for him to represent the club he played for during his youth career. I think he had six years there before he was at PSV. And if you have a look on the Ajax website today, they've put a number of pictures on from when he was younger, and some of them really he's not changed. Still got exactly the same smile and that and I think on one of them, uh the photo on the article when they announced his move, it was it must have been about ten or eleven. He's there with this massive smile and the braces on his teeth. It was just like a really nice uh, image to say basically he's he's back home. And I think he's it's a great signing for Ajax. He is such a really, really good player. He's got all the attributes uh to be a top player in the game and the one thing he's needed is just regular football he's just never been able to get that at Tottenham but he will get that at Ajax and he'll get Champions League football potentially could come up against Tottenham this season because Ajax are in pot one in the Champions League draw so there's the possibility of uh, a trip to Amsterdam again uh, but no I'm, I'm pleased he's got his move I'm just a bit disappointed that he's left Tottenham because I think he is a good squad player to have to bring on. I know we've not really seen a lot of him coming on for a good period of time or starting the, those games. As you were saying, it was Lucas always coming on ahead of him and then he'd get the odd minute or two. And yeah, you could just tell he wanted to go and just play regularly and he needed that ahead of the World Cup. So I'm pleased for him uh, in that aspect. And as you were saying, He's had some absolutely fantastic moments. I mean, what a debut against Man City, that oh, volley. Yeah. Had a, a really good run of form uh, immediately after his move. Uh, that was when Harry Kane wasn't in the team. And then you had the coronavirus pandemic where we had the three-month break. Kane came back in. Bergwijn found himself in and out of the team. And then first full season under Jose Mourinho. Again, probably played in the big games, played well. I'll just always remember that Liverpool game. What happened if he, he took one of those two chances? I mean, what would have happened to Spurs? They could have really pushed on and maybe even yeah, contested days. for the title. Bergwijn maybe could have become an established first-team player in there, but he never did. And then I think it was a, a few months later, around February time, fell out of favour, out of the matchday squad, I think seven times in probably about 10 or 11 games. And 
he's a confidence player for me. He, he just yeah. always looked like he needed a goal uh, just to give him that boost to try and recapture his best form. Finally got one in the penultimate home game of that season against Aston Villa. Really, really good finish. I don't think a lot's talked about that goal when, especially when he scored those two at Leicester in the volley against Man City. But then there was just one game in the season remaining. And there was just that, you know, couple of months break where he, he had to wait for his chance. And then injury uh, when he was uh, starting under Nuno and playing well. It's just really, really unfortunate for him. But uh, as you said, I don't think we've seen the last of him. I think he'll play well at Ajax and they can see him getting a big move in the future if everything clicks for him. Yeah, that's my only thing about it, I'd say. That's, I, I totally understand why you'd want to go back to Ajax. You know, it's it's one of those very much fulfilling the original dream, isn't it? I, I get that entirely. The only thing I would say, I think he could be a terrific Premier League player. You know, I, I, we saw some kind of late little bits and pieces about interest from Everton and things like that. And you do kind of think if he'd gone somewhere in the Premier League where he would have started regularly, I think he would have quite quickly become a very, very good Premier League player. And I think he would have racked up the goals and assists pretty much like he did at PSV, which is why Spurs signed him. Um, yeah, I, I like Steven Bergwijn. We didn't hear from him enough. I don't think he was too keen on doing interviews and stuff and things like that, which was a shame. Would have liked to have grabbed him out on the preseason tour, but obviously that is there's no chance that now because he won't be there. Um, but yeah, no, just wish him the best, really. Yeah, do you see that now as and obviously Spurs have brought Richarlison in. Conte does like to have two players for every position. Will Fabio Paratici, do you think go for a Bergwijn replacement, or do you think there's enough there with the front five as things stand? Uh, I think much depends on the striker position, doesn't it, really? Um, and this perhaps was one of Bergwijn's biggest problems. A little bit like Joe Roden getting labelled as, by Conte kind of labelling him as Dyer's backup, just meant that he was going to get so few games. And to be honest, didn't even play him there anyway. <laughs> he actually did have the chance to do that. But with Bergwijn, he almost, he got this kind of strange role where we thought mainly he was the guy on the left, but then Conte started to go down this route of seeing him as the cane backup through the middle, which we never really saw. So I don't really know where that came from. And also stature-wise, he doesn't really fit the the mould for a number nine reference point striker. So I didn't really get that. And if anything, Richarlison fits that much, much better. He's not, you know, he's not a perfect number nine. Of course he is, and he's not a natural number nine. But in terms of build and the ability to be able to hold up the ball as well, more fitting than Bergvine. Although, to be fair to Bergvine, when he got the ball at his feet, it was actually quite difficult to get it off him, um, especially with his back to goal. But in terms of what they do next, yeah, I think it depends. From what I understand, they're going to continue to monitor opportunities for any strikers out there. And if that is the case, they do bring in another striker, then yes, you've got Richarlison really becomes that left-sided battling with uh, Son. But also, because he's so versatile, essentially he can play anywhere across that front three, can't he? So that helps. And I guess you could say Perisic can also play in Bergwijn's role on the left as well. If required, you could end up playing Sessegnon and Perisic in the same team, really, if needed. So, yeah, I'd say in terms of Bergwijn, Bergwijn replacements, they've probably got enough there now. Um, just about what else, what else happens elsewhere, whether you know whether Lucas were to go or not. At the moment, that looks unlikely. I don't think the player really wants to leave. I think he's maybe looking to 
not run down his contract. That sounds like a negative thing, but you know, at least see out his contract with Tottenham. Um, it just depends what kind of big bid, if any, come in for him, I guess. But no, in terms of Bergvine replacement, I don't think there'd be any need for a like for like now. One player who is set to come in uh, at the club, fingers crossed, is Clement Longley from Barcelona. He's going to be a season-long loan deal. Obviously, he's having his medical spurs hopes that he'd pass it within the 24 hours and sign before the club depart for South Korea. They've been looking for a left-sided centre-back for quite some time. Then initially, they wanted one in January before they shelved the plans. And now, obviously, there was talk of Alessandro Bastoni from Inter Milan, uh, Josco Gavidol from Leipzig. But Longley does look like he's coming to the club, can play in the left-sided centre-back role to compete with Ben Davis, can play centrally as well. It certainly gives Conte options and, you know, he's got bags of experience as well at the top level. Yeah, he's a really interesting one. There's two sides to the whole long lay stuff. One is Spurs have wanted him for a while. They tried to sign him last summer. He turned them down on a loan deal. So it's not like, you know, he's just someone they've plucked out the air at the last minute. He was, you know, a, a serious target last summer. Um but the thing that's kind of changed this slightly for me is, you know, certainly in the early discussions, there was talk of a, an option to buy. And from what we understand at this moment, whether this changes late on or not, but what we understand at the moment is that it doesn't seem to be an option to buy, which kind of leads you down a very different path when it comes to him, because naturally he then becomes almost like a stopgap option. Um, because let's be honest, even if he had a starring season and was superb, his price flies up. You know, he goes from being this potential, what, I think there was talk about maybe it was less than £10 million. I think some of the prices I saw quote, obviously that's not including, there'll be a loan fee for Spurs and they'll take on a the majority of his wages, although I don't think it's going to be all of them. Um, but still, I don't think he would have been the most expensive defender in the world, let's put it that way. So if he has a great season then he suddenly becomes in a price bracket where they have to think, you know, do we want him that much? Or the flip side is, is he a temporary option because they'll try to sign Bastoni or Guardial next summer when both players look like that's the more natural exit date for them would be more next summer. Um, which obviously, <laughs> no one wants to be a, a backup option. Um, he was always on their list. You know, we've, we've said this for weeks on this podcast, that he was always on the list. And I think the inability to to convince Bastoni and Inter really to part ways, uh, which isn't all on Spurs. I've seen some people getting very annoyed with Spurs about it. There's not really much you can do when a player doesn't want to leave a club. You know, he's got like Inter tattoos up his arm and stuff, Bastoni. He is properly, you know, an Inter boy. And... You know, the club don't want to lose him because they know the fans would go mad. So it, it's not one of those deals that's particularly easy to do. Uh, even if you throw the money that Inter would be interested in, Bastoni might then not want to move, which seems to be the case. And I think with Guardiola, it's very similar as well at Leipzig. Um, these are young guys. What is Bastoni? 23, isn't he? Guardiola, I think he's 20. Um, they're still very young guys. So they're at a stage in their career where there's no desperate need to make that Premier League move yet. So maybe, yeah, maybe Spurs have looked at this and said, look, Longley is versatile. He can play on the left in a back three, can play in the centre in a black, uh, back three. He's not 
not the quickest player in the world, but from everything we understand, the people that have watched him closely, he's got a very, very good left foot, very good at his passing, you know, doesn't lose the ball too much. Anticipation's good. And like you said earlier, bags of experience. You know, he's a France international. This isn't a guy that, you know, isn't wandered into Barcelona by accident. He hasn't taken a wrong turn and ended up there. Yes, it hasn't been a great season for him. Um, weirdly, in the Champions League, he kind of started the bulk of the games, but in La Liga has been a far less regular starter. Um, but, you know, it's one of these where we can look at it in different ways, but we could also look at Kulisevsky and Bentenker not being as regular starters at Juventus and coming into the Premier League and absolutely lighting it up. Um, so I don't think that's any guarantee of a bad player just because one big club isn't playing them at the moment. There's so many elements to it. Um, but I do find it interesting. I find it fascinating, this whole idea of a single-season loan at the moment. Is he going to be... I mean, it's a question for you. Do you think he will be the starter? I know we've got to get out of this mentality, but let's say in big games... In big games, is he the starter or is Ben Davies at this moment in time going to be keeping his place and Longley is actually his backup? I think at the moment I'd be sticking with the back three that finished last season. I know everyone raves about how good Tottenham's front three was and probably not enough is said about the back three because once Christian Romero came back into the back line, you know, Spurs looked a lot more solid and that's when the upturn in form started. So... To begin with, I would be starting Romero, Dyer, and Davis. But, you know, competition is exactly what Tottenham have needed uh, yeah. for years right across the team. And it's, it's only a good thing. So, obviously, with uh, Longley set to come in now, he's going to have a good month uh, with Conte, his coaching staff, the players, got four preseason friendly. So, he can certainly uh, make his case. Uh, yeah, he probably didn't have the best of seasons at Barcelona. But there's quite clearly a good player in there because Barcelona don't go and just buy any old players. They want quality players. And I think when he was at Sevilla, uh, you know, he, he was a standout uh, yeah. for them. I think he was in the team when they knocked Manchester United out of the Champions League. And Jose Mourinho, when he was United boss, didn't allude to any names of uh, the severe players, but he did say he would sign a number of them and there would be starters in these teams. So, you know, he may have been hinting about uh, Longley's qualities there. And Vincenzo Montella, uh, his former manager at Sevilla, basically said he's a champion in the head and on the pitch. So Tottenham are getting a good player. I think probably he just needs a fresh start, really, to recapture yeah. his, uh, his best form. And... You know, he's got that experience in the Champions League, playing El Clasicos for Barcelona against Real Madrid on the international stage for France. There's a lot of experience there, and I think he can turn out to be uh, a bit of a shrewd acquisition. I think very unlike Paratici not to have uh, either an option to buy or obligation to buy in there, just in case it is such a big success, because we've seen that with obviously the Galini, Romero, Kulisewski deals, but in terms of Barca, if they're agreeing on the fee, could that come back and burn them? Say, what happened with Tottenham and Juan Fife when it was such a low uh, buy clause for Villarreal? Fife had such a good season. You're thinking, why is Spurs? Why did Spurs agree to this fee in uh, the first place? And Fife now could potentially move on for a lot more money than what Spurs sold him for. But yeah, I think it's it's a good signing. 
I'd probably be favouring Davis at the moment, but there's going to be plenty of games coming up and, you know, Longley's got a chance to make his case. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing we have to remember with him as well is that he's got, like, I think his contract's still 2026 at Barcelona as well. So perhaps there's an element of the Barcelona side of things, maybe not wanting uh, to put in an option to buy because exactly that. Maybe they feel that, with a year in the Premier League, suddenly they have a much more expensive asset next year when he still has, you know, three years left on his deal. So, yeah, there could be a Barcelona side to it as well. Ultimately, I guess we just want to look at the now, what he can do for Spurs, whether he's a big success for Tottenham. Look, he isn't the first choice in that left-sided position. We know that. or He wasn't among the targets. Um, but that's no... That actually doesn't really mean anything in football because it's about what he makes of the move and what he brings to the team. And, and like you say, he'll hopefully be on that flight to Korea with the team on Saturday night. And that's an important kind of bonding experience, I think, for him to be able to go on that tour. That's a, that's a good start for him. And also, like you say, on the pitches with Conte, because, yeah, that back three was one of the standout things about, certainly as Conte started to get a hold of that Tottenham team, and the more he builds that defence, and I do think there'll be another defender coming in as well, especially with Roden like to go out the door, I think a Conte-built defence will be a very different thing at Tottenham. Right, shall we move on to another potential incoming, and that's Jed Spence. Now, this one is taking quite some time. I mean, there's been talk for weeks that he's uh, gone to come to Spurs, obviously. Middlesbrough have their own valuation and now it's about both clubs trying to come to an agreement. I've said it in articles, I've said it on probably the past couple of podcasts. One club is going to have to compromise at some point soon if yeah. this deal is going to come to fruition. And, you know, Middlesbrough, I think Chris Wilder said last week, he's got uh, a player in who used to be at Huddersfield. He was at Stoke last season on uh, he's brought him in on trial and basically it's like once Jed Spence goes out the door he can sign that player I think for both parties they need this deal to be done yeah it's it's kind of getting to the ridiculous stage now I don't think there's ever been a player that's had so many fees agreed so many advanced talks held honestly the reporting around this has been mad um you know if, if we're to read everything we we've seen Spurs have been advanced talks for him since he was about two years old, but it sounds to it, it's like incredible. I just, it's so weird. And every time, you know, I've seen something come out, because of it, it's weird, like you said, and sometimes it's like quite really respected journalists have been putting out stuff. And so I'll go to various parties involved in different sides of this potential deal, and everyone's like, nope, no progress. And it's a bit like, but everyone's saying this and everyone's saying that. And it's like, nope. And it's been such a weird one. From everything I keep hearing, it's a difficult deal. Um, that's the expression I keep hearing about this deal. But then the flip side, on the positive side, I'm kind of hearing from all sides now that they're all hopeful that it goes through. I think before, all we were kind of hearing was Middlesbrough and Chris Wilder saying they expected it to go through. But now I'm kind of hearing more on the Tottenham side that they're still hopeful that this deal will get pushed through. Obviously not in time for Korea. That's now too late. Um, and whether, you know, if it was to get done in the next few days, you send him out to Korea, I'd probably say you don't 
even if it suddenly moves quickly, because I think he's probably better off just getting intensive fitness sessions at Hotspur Way to prepare him for Conte's return, which sounds kind of uh, scary, but well, it kind of is, I guess, in a fitness sense. Um, but yeah, and the player, obviously, from everything we understand, wants to play for Tottenham. And I think that's where maybe some of this has come from. And Spurs have been there in the past, where they've had a player who wants to come to them. They know that the club are looking to sell. And they've just sat there saying, well, this is our valuation. If you're going to stick at your valuation, we'll sit it out because we know the player only wants to come to us. But that tactic doesn't always work. You know, we've seen it in the past. We saw him do it with Grealish. Grealish is the most ridiculous example of it. You know, there's a player who really wanted to come, essentially had agreed everything to come, and they just waited so long that Villa got their new money in and didn't need to sell it. Um, and they've done that before elsewhere as well. I think even Ross Barkley, I think, was another one where that was a potential, a, a similar thing. And it, this is not. To, this is the other thing I think they have to watch out for is that they're, they're not the only club that wants Jed Spence. You know, uh, Dortmund, Roma, Newcastle, Brentford, obviously Forest. We know as well all of these kind of teams that have been looking at him. So if they kind of dilly and dally too long, then you do open the door for someone else. But look, at the end of the day, it does also have to be a realistic fee. And I still keep going back to this because I do think, I wonder whether Middlesbrough saw these quotes and were like, Chris, no. And Chris Wilder said about prices in the championship. And he was like, I saw a championship striker. We were being quoted 20, 25 million for him. I couldn't believe it for a championship striker. And I wonder if like the press officer was going, oh, Chris, we're trying to sell a player for roughly that amount. Please, no, kind of thing. Because at the end of the day, Jed Spence is a very talented young man, England under-21 international, but in on paper has had a very good season, one very good season. You know, he's been good, but this, let's be honest, was his real breakout season. But it has occurred in the Championship. It's not like he was doing it in the Premier League. Yes, you could argue that some of his better games were against Premier League teams in the FA Cup. Had very good games, you know, something against Arsenal. Um, was it Leicester and Liverpool as well he took on? So he has had that Premier League experience this season. And um, I think he actually played against Spurs last year as well. And the, um, I seem to remember him up against Sessegnon. I, I, I think I used a photo in one of our stories of the two of them going oh, against In him. the FA Cup replay, the third round. Yes, yes, I think it was. Yeah, where, was it Jose's first season? Uh, Lacelso scored, didn't they? Did Lamella score as well? Was that the one where Lacelso went on that incredible run? Or was Might, that the first no, match? That, that was Southampton, I think, Southampton. when he had the really good run. Uh, but yeah, they definitely played Middlesbrough and Jed Spence will have been there. So yeah. yeah, so he's got that experience. But let's be honest, it's not a proper Premier League season we're not talking about. So I totally understand if Spurs are coming at this saying, if I'm Tottenham, I'm saying the majority of the money, I, I'd maybe, this is putting myself into whoever, Daniel Levy, Pratchett's shoes, whoever. I would say, look, we're willing to kind of go up to that kind of valuation, but the bulk of that has to be for future stuff. Because by all means, he may be very successful and we're happy to reward you for that. But it would have to be on actual results and performances rather than on perceived potential at this point. Um, so I, I just, I reckon that's where a lot of the differences lie. No doubt Middlesbrough will want more up front. Um, but it gets to a point where, 
they're going to have to sell him because you're going to get into preseason. It's going to be it's going to be all a, a little bit awkward, like you say. Them wanting to bring in new faces as well at Middlesbrough and a player who clearly wants to leave the club, who didn't feel wanted last season. I think we saw that with his little kind of back and forth with Neil Warnock. Um, different manager now, but it looks like Wilder's very much accepted that he's a player for elsewhere rather than Middlesbrough. So like you say, a bit like the Bergvine situation, we've known it was going to happen for a long time and all parties kind of had agreed it was going to happen. It was just a case of getting the numbers right. I just feel like that's the case with Spence now. Obviously, if they're still struggling to agree on the fee, surely can't Spurs in the deal and go, well, do you want Jack Clark as part of the deal? Do you want him on loan? If Wilder's been saying he's been quoted 20, 25 million for a striker, Troy Parrott needs a championship loan next season. Surely there's options yeah. there for Tottenham to offer them. And obviously, if maybe Dane Scarlett and Alfie Devine, if the plan is to still send them out and learn. It's another two players. So I'm sure there's certainly ways Spurs can sweeten the deal and, you know, sway Middlesbrough. But it's just coming to an agreement. Uh, I think it's one that's certainly frustrating fans, probably frustrating us as well. I think everyone just wants this deal over the line and probably everyone expected it over uh, the line before the South Korea trip. But unfortunately, uh, that's not the case. It's just a waiting game now. But what are we? Just under two months till the transfer deadline uh, closes for business. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it, I mean it's brilliant that Spurs have will have five players in through the door. Uh, hopefully yeah. by this evening, it's it's just really really good. Spurs are going in the right way. Hopefully, a couple more additions, and you know, a successful season could be on the cards. Um, you actually reminded me there when you said about Middlesbrough and Parrot, they were. They were one of the interested clubs. You're, you're spot on. Um, I remember that. I wrote a piece. I was just trying to look it up, trying to remind myself of exactly who it was, but it was, I think I've got it here somewhere, Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough, Swansea, Preston and QPR among a long line of championship clubs that have all kind of shown an interest in him. So, yeah, it's not the, that isn't the worst idea in the world. When you started off saying that, I was like, oh, he's like he's making monopoly kind of like trading deals kind of thing, but actually... This, that's a good shout from Robert Guest. Um, yeah, that's not bad to put Parrot in there if they are looking for attacking options. And uh, it'd be a good club for Parrot as well, I think, as well. I think that would be a good development club for him. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully that one gets over there. And like I say, I hope from all parties that it does. And that's normally when you find a, a compromise. Yeah, I think Borough... Uh of the past couple of seasons have brought forwards in on loan. They had, uh, was it Flo Balligan from Arsenal last season on loan? I think uh, Connolly from Brighton, he might have been a loan deal as well. So they're always looking at the Premier League loan market. So, yeah, could be one that certainly benefits both clubs. Right, shall we move on to the pre-season tour as you'll be jetting off to South Korea uh, tomorrow? Hopefully. 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 <laughs> well, providing you do get there, it is going to be uh, a very busy week for you. Oh, it really is. Yeah, the reason I say hopefully isn't hopefully anything to do with the impending doom in terms of flights. It's more the fact that um, the uh, South Korean uh, COVID regulations are, are quite strict. They're back to kind of where we were uh, in terms of 
having to do a test before I go, which I have later on this evening, and a test uh, on arrival as well. So there's lots of hurdles and, and hoops to jump through. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm fingers crossed going to be able to cover this tour. Um, but you just never know what's happening with COVID, which seems to be lurking around still in the background and a and, and few rising cases. Um, the tour is going to be mad. It's I've, I've kind of seen the itinerary now. Uh, it was given us, as some of us media guys going out there, just give us a heads up and, and what we need to expect. And it is full on. From what I understand, it's the busiest tour Spurs have ever had to do because of the demand. And obviously, you know, Sonny Mania, we know it's going to be incredible to witness in his homeland. I've seen it um, in America when he uh, there was a they went into Koreatown. But to actually see it in Korea is going to be something special. And hopefully we'll get to talk to a fair few of the players out there. Um, I've seen some of the names being put up and hopefully we'll get a few more as well and get some of these new signings to have a little chat with us about what's to come. And obviously a fair bit of access to Conte as well. I think we're going to have at least four press conferences out there with him. Obviously two pre-match and one uh, two post-match, but also maybe we'll grab him for a little chat as well if we can. So, yeah, Football Island is going to have a lot of access to this tour, which is going to be terrific. Um, it's going to be interesting weather. Um, my, my packing is going to be very interesting for this one because it's monsoon season now in Seoul. Um, so we're going to have temperatures of like between 30 and 33 degrees, but we're also going to have lots of rain and thunderstorms. Um, I think it, I think there's little breaks. I think I've looked at the forecast now, and it's starting to change a little bit. There's a few days where we're going to be, get a bit of sunshine, maybe, uh, but it's going to be a bit of a tour like no other. All the other tours we've had in recent years have been very much baking hot, whereas this one I think is going to be a mix of weathers. Um, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see for me a Tottenham camp in a very good mood, hopefully. Whereas the last tour in Singapore and Shanghai, which obviously pre-COVID, there were just there were a few, look. It was in the months in the wake after the Champions League final. Um, Poch wasn't happy with the transfers or lack of. It was only Tongi through the door at that point, who looked like he just been slapped in the face with a Pochettino pre-season, and that was a big kind of shock for him. He even admitted that to us. Um, but it just didn't feel like a happy camp. Pochettino was a little bit terse and frustrated in his press conferences with us. Um, and I know you, <laughs> when they came back and went to Germany, you got the rough end of it with Poch as well. So to have a camp where everyone seems to be happy, Sonny's obviously loving it. He's the golden boot holding the Premier League with Salah. Kane is probably one of that, the happiest he's been at Spurs in a long time. Club have shown a willingness to improve this summer. Like we said, five transfers, including, you know, 60 million on one player and Richarlison. Um, it's going to be a very different looking Tottenham as well. I'm intrigued to see which youngsters he picks. I think there's going to be a few late decisions from what I understand on some players, which would be interesting for them. I think it might be a case of get your bags packed, you're coming kind of thing. Um, and obviously it'd be everything will be said by those who don't come. We'll, we'll know very swiftly who has no future whatsoever by those who don't get on that plane. Um, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating tour. There's so many narratives to it, so many little things for us to explore. And 
just just and we've got two matches, you know, against the K League All Stars and also um, Sevilla as well, with a certain Eric Lamella hopefully involved. Um, maybe we'll try and see if we can grab him after the match as well. That'd be great to to get a few words from the, the man, the myth, the legend, the Rabona King, Eric Lamella. No, it should be a good one. Obviously, Team K League first up. That's on Wednesday. It's going to be really interesting to see how Spurs actually line up, whether it will just be a case of mix and match, uh, as you do usually see in pre-season with, you know, a few youngsters in there with the first team. Obviously, potentially five new players as well to fit in. I think for me, I'd certainly be giving the likes of Oliver Skip, Jaffet Tanganga, Matt Doherty, if he's uh, ready to play after his injury, certainly game time in the first game, starting them. And then you'd be looking at surely the players who did arrive back first rather than the internationals who've been on that break for a long time. So you'll have the likes of Lucas, who's always at Hotspur because he never gets an international call-up, does he, unfortunately, for Brazil? Oh, harsh, the way you laughed when you said that. But I know what he's you mean. True. He is. He's, like, he's never away. Uh, Eric Dyer somehow didn't get an international call-up, so you'd yeah, expect him nice. to be in uh, the team. And then you've got the likes of Brian Hill, who was back early, Pape mm-hmm. Matassar, Christian big Romero, Bentinger. Big preseason tour for Saren Hill. You know they, they've got a kind of lot of proving to do. I think for Conte. With those two, then good performances. Will they become part of his first team squad? Is it a case of basically sink or swim? No. Oh, it's a tough one. You and I, we we know that some people get very bored at this. Some people are very interested in it. But I think the foreign player limit stuff. It's going to be so key when it comes to those two because obviously I think they're both still would be fine on the Premier League under-21 list, wouldn't they? But in Europe, they're not. And then it becomes this situation of does one of those or two of them get left out of the European Champions League squad? And if so, do they really want to stick around if they're not going to be playing Champions League football? Maybe that's a decision for, for them, but... Uh, I think for Saar, I think it makes more sense personally to maybe at least give him six months of adaptation to English football and then maybe look to loan him in January. But obviously Spurs will decide with whatever offers come in. With Hill, it's got a long contract. Um, Potentially you send him out on loan. I'd like him, and this is just me, I'd like him to go to another Premier League team. I think that's the best development he could have. But you'd imagine it will be likely back to Spain again. All those French clubs we know got a bit of interest as well. I think Marseille have been looking at him. So, yeah, I'd I'd say for Hill, he would have to be absolutely sensational in pre-season to probably try and convince Conte that he's actually able to play Premier League football. And even then, Conte could argue well, we haven't played any Premier League teams. You know, you've been playing against foreign teams who maybe give you that little bit extra space and more time on the ball. Um, this is this is the thing that I did feel was a bit unfair. And, you know, I think Conte's done a lot of brilliant things, but I did feel like the slight kind of public calling out of the Hill transfer for me, I don't think it really did anyone any favours. You know, he could have quite easily just said, look, Spurs have signed players. They've done really good signings in January. This is exactly the type of players we need. 
and he could have left it there, but he kind of went down this route. And, and to be fair, if I'm going to be entirely fair, it was I was asking him, I think, about Brian Hill. I think it was my question. And rather than just say, yeah, he, got, he needs to go away, develop, you know, maybe put on a bit of bulk and a bit of muscle to help him deal with the Premier League, but he didn't. He kind of went down this route of almost as if to say, well, he exemplifies why Spurs have been making bad transfers because they don't really look at whether a player is suited to the Premier League and it's such a different league. And I get it's honest, but I don't know whether with a player-wise it did any good whatsoever because in Brian Hill's mind, will he believe now that he'll ever play under Conte in the Premier League? You know, he's he's a diminutive guy. He's not like he's the biggest lad in the world. He is only 21 and he can put on a bit of bulk, of course, but he's not going to make himself any taller. <laughs> you know, he's not going to suddenly become this giant... Um, He's not got the frame of a Kulusevsky or a Richarlison or anyone like that. So, yeah, I would say that was one of those where maybe he was too much trying to make a point and trying to get Tottenham to change their transfer ways. But actually, it was a bit harsh on Hill, who I think is a very talented young player. And I think, a bit like Bergwijn, but maybe even more so, if Hill goes away and ends up never playing really for Spurs again, I think he could become a star somewhere else in Spain or saying someone with all the top people are talking about. Right? He used to be compared to Neymar and stuff like that when he was young. Well, when he was young, he's still 21. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd say maybe out of the two, Sars got a bit more of a chance purely because he's brand new to everything and he has to adapt. And he is one who is taller and he can fill out a bit and maybe get used to the Premier League, um, which sounds ridiculous. I know height is not the be-all and end-all, whether you're a talented player or not. But uh, it does seem to be something that Conte kind of looks at, doesn't it? I think if we look at the Conte team for next season, I would be shocked. And I know this is a massive generalisation, but I'm just kind of thinking about it as I'm talking. I do wonder how many of those players will be under six foot. It's going to be a tall team. It's a bit like Poch's team. Do you remember when Poch, they used to have all of these players for set pieces that were a threat. Um, I'm trying to think now. Who in that team? Is gonna is under six foot, and I know this is a weird direction I've taken this in, but I genuinely can't think of many. In terms of the starting eleven, yeah, or well, in, starting in eleven, starting eleven, I'd say maybe. I don't know if Ben Ben Davies might be just about six foot. He might be touching six foot. He's not the tallest, but I don't think he's under. Lucas would be if he's Lucas in the starting eleven, but yeah, he's probably not going to be. Uh... Otherwise, I think that entire yeah. starting eleven might be. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I think I'm with you on Brian Hill if he's to leave on loan. I think for me, he's got to be a Premier League loan. Yeah, it's great for him if he can go back to Spain and do what he did at Valencia and get the minutes under his belt and play well and show that form. Uh, obviously, what caught Paratici's attention and brought him to the club. But then if he, he comes back, he's still not going to have that Premier League experience, what he needs. And he's got to adapt. Yeah. And this season, say, if he does stay at Spurs, what's he got to be? Six in the pecking order? There's yeah. no Carabao Cup until November. It's literally yeah. Premier League and Champions no League. No Conference League games either to kind of put out a different eleven, all this sort of stuff. No, I, I can't see Spurs rotating an awful lot in the Champions League unless they are given a favourable draw or they qualify after three or four games. But is that likely to happen? Probably not. Uh, so for me, I think alone's best for Hill, uh, a Premier League one. In terms of Saar, 
I'd probably be inclined to keep him for six months just to give him that experience and I think as well Tottenham have four quality options now in midfield following Ibrahimovic's move to club and then if Harry Winks is gone to go I think you need a fifth midfielder just in yeah. case because injuries and suspensions Harvey White was doing the job last season Harvey White needs a loan move as good as it is for him Definitely. to be playing uh, to be named in that Tottenham squad on a regular basis and training day in, day out with, you know, some world-class players. He needs first-team experience in the football you know, league. My, so. only fear, my only fear with Harvey White, and I keep thinking about this, is it's the club-trained stuff. I just yeah. wonder whether they keep him around purely to tick that box, which is of no use to him development-wise. Because the only game time he's going to get would be potentially Carabao Cup if it's yeah. a nice draw. He might get some minutes in there or potentially FA Cup third round. Can I suggest from those names that you are definitely saying Nondembele and Lo Celso are heading off? I think Lo Celso will be the one who's easier to move on after such a good loan spell at Villarreal. But I think the case with Lo Celso is is getting the right fee for him, not just selling him on the cheap to move him on. It's one of the most expensive signings ever. People kind of forget that, don't they? Yeah, and it was obviously there was a lot of talk of Valencia wanting to buy him back permanently because uh, he he did so well there. But Valencia's transfer record is just—is it around like twenty million? They're not a club yeah, who spent an awful lot of money, so you know that would be a massive jump if they were to sign Lacelso for Endombele. I think what doesn't help him is that underwhelming spell at Leon on loan. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you'd be able to move him on on loan, but I don't think clubs will be queuing up uh, to sign him on a permanent basis. Got a long or contract, knows me. That's in yeah. Spurs' favour, I guess, in that respect. Is that, yeah. Yes. A bit like we were saying about Longley, you could, you could loan him out, increase his value, and then have an easier time next summer, maybe. Yeah, I think that's the thing. If you're not going to get a decent fee for Ndombele this summer, then loan him out. Fingers crossed, you know, he he, he flourishes out on loan, like Lacelso did at Villarreal, and then that just boosts his market value, and hopefully there will be more clubs 12 months down the line looking to sign him. So plenty of decisions anyway over uh, pre-season. Conte will take a really good look at uh, his players. Those on the periphery of the team will be looking to catch his eye, and then... What we one month away from the start of the season now, so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we are a lot to decide on. Under. Yeah, right. I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest. Should we just say happy birthday to Sonny before we go as well? As we are going to Sonny's homeland, <laughs> I think we should also say, you know, just in case we have any, you know, South Korean listeners as well, it is a big day. So I think he turns thirty, doesn't he today? He does, yeah. So you taking a cake over? What <laughs> Yaya Toure style? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good point. I wonder if Yaya Toure is still on the. Uh, I think he is still involved in the the academy. I think. After, I wonder whether he'll be uh, heading out there as well. Yes, yeah, uh, I digress. But yeah, yeah, no, I won't be taking a cake. I'm not sure I get that through customs if I if I get on that plane. Right. Hopefully, we will be able to do a podcast sometime in South Korea. If We're not, try and work it out logistics. Yes. Yeah. If not, it'll be uh, the following week when we're back, and there'll certainly be uh, a lot to discuss anyway. So, yes. 
As always, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.